This episode is brought to you by the Living by the Indwelling Life of Christ Discipleship Course. This course is all audio, and it comes with a digital workbook, plus two bonus books that you can only get by signing up for the course. The course gives you a practical look at how to apply Paul's words in Galatians 2.20. It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Yes, but how? How do we practically live by divine life, the life of Christ that indwells us? This is what the course explores. Over 2,000 people from all over the world have taken it. You have it for life, and you take it at your own pace. If you're interested, go to thedeeperjourney.com. That's thedeeperjourney.com. You can check out free samples there also. Hey there, welcome friends to another edition of Jesus Smart, the podcast. This is the podcast for those who um, who are ready to go above and beyond as an apprentice of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and uh, really uh, seeking maybe to elevate their story under Christ's story, their part to play in this time in our world. What do you think, Frank? Thanks for coming on the podcast today. We need everybody to show up, don't we, with their um, with walking worthy of the calling, don't we? <laughs> yeah, thanks for uh, having me on again. It's always good to chat with you. Thank you for your work, Frank, and your consistency. You're a mentor, and I've been to one of your events, and I love your books. I love your podcast. I, I love the times we get to talk together and I really appreciate you and your work. Well, hey, Frank, um, I don't think it's too much to say that this world is a broken, <laughs> busted, and disgusted. And it's almost like that proverb that says a backslider will be filled to the full with their own fancies. I think the whole world is like that, you know, just right. filled to the full, disillusioned, disappointed, desperate. It's kind of like that old song, who was it, by the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, you know. Uh, the whole world is kind of in that mode. And and I've heard you say before that the only thing that does not wear out is Jesus. Even the good things wear out, right? Is, it, is that what you mean? Right. Every <clears throat> Everything in this life, including spiritual habits, practices, disciplines, will eventually wear out, except for Jesus Christ. He is the only thing that will not wear out. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're talking today about rediscovering Christ, you know, and what is so powerful when we think about it is that Christ is ultimately creative. He's regenerative. You know, he talked about the regeneration when all things would be renewed. I would like to say that in a real sense, when we're born again, we begin to taste that, have that opportunity to see that process begin to be activated uh, even now. And I think he wants that as a, as a witness. Before we get into it, Frank, just in a more broader uh, general sense, because you bring such a message about the kingdom what may you be sensing these days about how the church at large, church with a capital C, is doing with appreciating um, the understanding of the kingdom of God, understanding it, and maybe with that, how are we doing with walking it out, you know, walking worthy of that calling? The thing I want to say before I try to answer the question is we have in the Christian populace a way of using the term church in such a generic way mm. that it's really impossible to represent what's going on among Christians. For example, when someone says, you know, the church is weak or the church needs filling the blank or 
problem with the church is, or in this question, you know, how is the church doing? Well, I have to say, what church are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Okay, so talking about the Baptist church? Are we talking about the Reformed church? Are we talking about the Pentecostals, the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox? Or are we talking about Christians who meet in house churches, outside the institutional church, organic churches? What are we talking about? Okay. And so that's my first observation. And I've tried to get this across to people for years, but it's one of those things that's very, very hard to stick and get through. So when we say, when you're asking, how is the church doing? I have to step back and say, well, if you're talking about all the Christians in the world, <laughs> okay, I would say that probably in my observation and in my experience, a very small percentage of the Christians all across the denominations, all across the movements, all across the tribes mm -hmm. really understand what the kingdom of God is. Okay. okay. If you lined up a thousand and two Christians, okay, from all different denominations, walks of life, movements, etc., and you said, "What is the kingdom of God?" Because that's your question. Understanding the kingdom and walking worthy of Christ the King. Most of them are going to answer things like, "Well, it's heaven." Others will say, "Well, it's making the world a better place." Others are going to say, "Well, it's signs and wonders." Mm. Those works yeah. the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Others say it's it's social justice, okay? <laughs> Basically, you're going to get all different answers, and brother, none of them are correct. Not one of them. Everything I mentioned, none of them map to what <laughs> okay. the kingdom of God is. All I can tell you is where I have spoken in conferences and, and churches and movements, where the people have read the book Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, and they are listening to the Insurgents podcast, which takes every reference to the kingdom in chronological order in the New Testament and riffs on it. I can tell you that those people get it. They understand what the kingdom is and isn't. Now, I'm sure there are others. I'm sure there are others who have never read the book, never heard of the book, that have an understanding as well. I've not met too many of them. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book and why I have the podcast is because there is a great lack of understanding as to what the kingdom is, especially what the gospel of the kingdom is. I can also tell you that the people who have read the book and who listen to the podcast, I continue to get testimonials of how radically it changed their life. And some of the people, Brian, have been Christians for a long time. And they thought they knew what the kingdom was. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. And just for anybody who's not aware of who I am, I am somebody who has had that own shaking in my own life. I thought I knew what the kingdom of God was for years. I thought I knew what the gospel of the kingdom was for years. And the Lord sovereignly did a work in my life, opened my eyes, gave me a revelation, I'll use that term in a general sense, to see what the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom was, and it, it revolutionized my own life. So the book and the podcast are the fruit and the outworking of that own revelation. I'm simply passing on what happened to me. Okay. Am I kind of hearing that that was somewhat recently in the longer arc of your your walk with the Lord and your work? No, it's progressive. Probably okay. started around 2009, then from 2009 all the way to 2018, 
it just went into hyperspeed and 2018 is when the book released and then intentionally released the uh, podcast, the Insurgents podcast, six months later. But basically, in answer to your question, I think that the vast majority of Christians do not understand what the kingdom of God is. They have equated it with things that um, are aspects of the kingdom. We'll say that. Okay. Eternal life is an aspect of the kingdom. Signs and wonders is an aspect of the kingdom. It's kind of like trying to define an automobile by just focusing on the tires. Mm. <laughs> These four tires are an automobile. Okay? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we just bought another automobile recently. So, man, it's just too sensitive right now about the whole issue. <laughs> hey, um, so, I mean, Jesus said to you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I think he was talking about his insiders. And I was re really thinking about this recently, Frank. There's a sense in which we want to get on the inside, don't we? We want to we want to become an insider, quote, with Jesus, where we can um, understand these things better. I mean, we're all questing. I mean, who can say that I fully understand the kingdom, right? But we're all mm -hmm. leaning and questing. And, and um, my desire is to be an insider and to run with those who... Who, who sort of have that same aspiration. Yes, amen. Yeah, so Jesus is central. I mean, you can't have the kingdom without the king, right? That's right. <laughs> I mean, how can you have the kingdom as some kind of a abstract thing without the person of Jesus Christ? I'm intrigued by your book, A Theography, Jesus, A Theography, which you co-wrote with uh, Leonard Sweet, part of a trilogy of books. But you're dealing there with a rediscovery of Christ, Christ is infinite. There's so much for, for him to reveal to us of rediscovering Christ. This seems to be part of the motivation of, of your book, right? With Leonard Sweet, rediscovering Christ, who he is, and, and um, really seeing the offer that's on the table. A couple things. First, I didn't just write one book about Jesus with Leonard Sweet. We wrote three. Mm -hmm. So there's a, it's a trilogy. It's a three volume. And before I get into that, in my book, Insurgents, there is the statement, the kind of convert made is the direct result of the kind of gospel preached. Okay. And so we see converts in our own lives. You know, we can, we can name us as being a convert sure. yeah, uh, and friends and people we know. The kind of convert is going to reflect the kind of gospel preached. And the gospel of the kingdom, what it does is it produces radical, all-in, revolutionary followers of Jesus Christ who are obsessed and consumed with him and his kingdom. It, basically, they get radicalized, all right? That's a term that we often hear in the terrorist world, you know, that this person in the Middle East got radicalized, and now they're going to commit suicide for their false cause. Well, in the New Testament, when people were baptized after they heard the gospel of the kingdom preached, which was the message of Jesus, it was the message of Paul, it was the message of Philip, it was the message of all the apostles. It was also called the gospel of grace and the gospel of God and the gospel of Christ. They were baptized, and what was happening is they were being radicalized to Jesus of Nazareth and his alternative civilization, the kingdom of God. Now, you cannot separate, and Christians have done this for centuries, you cannot separate the king from the kingdom. The kingdom of God is three things, and I expound on this in the book Insurgents. It is the king himself. Jesus embodies the kingdom. Secondly, it's the people who are ruled by the king, mm, yeah. the ecclesia. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, it's his actual rule. It's the activated rule 
the sovereign rule of Christ. Okay. So it's those three things. Yeah. And you cannot have the kingdom without the king. And so in the three books that I wrote with Leonard Sweet, going back to a phone conversation we had in 2008, we wrote Jesus Manifesto, which was the first book. And we wrote it because we both felt most Christians suffer from JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. Christians it's the worst kind of are, disorder. It is. Most Christians are focused on something related to Jesus, but Jesus himself is left out in the cold. Oh, my goodness. So, for example, evangelism. There are Christians that are so focused on evangelism, but Christ is kind of a footnote. Christ himself. Discipleship is another one. Leadership principles is another one. Church multiplication is another one. Sure, churchianity. It could be theology, Bible study, etc. Sure. They're obsessed with things yeah. related to Jesus yeah. where Jesus himself is kind of, as I say, he's a footnote. He's, he's a footnote. He's not the centrality and the all-inclusiveness and the all-sovereign Christ that the New Testament presents to us, where he is the main focus, and these other things are little footnotes, okay? Are derivatives of him, right? Yeah, exactly. The pyramid has been reversed. And mm. so, we wrote Jesus' manifesto to pull back the curtain and show God's people the glorious incredible, inimitable, ineffable vision of who Jesus Christ is as a living, resurrected, enthroned person who we can know and experience yes. because he has come to live within us. And that's what the book does. And what's so fascinating is that Jesus' manifesto was endorsed glowingly by Christian leaders, the major Christian leaders over the last 20 years, in every single denomination you can think of, whether it's Anglican, whether it's Reformed, Neo-Reformed, whether it's Baptist, whether it's Pentecostal, Charismatic, you name it. And all of them, the people who endorsed it, resonated with it so powerfully. In fact, I had one author, uh, he's gone to be with the Lord now, one of the greatest writers of our century, Calvin Miller. He wrote The Singer, incredible book. He said the book revolutionized his life. Wow. Which was quite a statement because here's a guy who, you know, is much older than I am <laughs> and even older than Leonard Sweet. And he had this experience. So that was the first book. And then we felt we wanted to follow it up with another book that actually took readers through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation showing them Jesus Christ on every page. Because Jesus himself said, speaking of the Hebrew scriptures, he said, all scripture testifies of me. That means Leviticus testifies of Jesus, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. That means Exodus. That means Ruth. That means Numbers. Genesis. He's all there. He's in every page and pictures and types and images and analogies. And so what we did in Jesus of Theography, which is the second book in the trilogy, we took readers through Christ on every page. And then the third book was Jesus Speaks, which talks about very practically how to hear the voice of Jesus. He said, my sheep hear my voice. Mm -hmm recognize it's him and not our own thoughts or not the voice of the enemy. And those three books, uh, people can go to my website, frankviola.org, and click on the books page, and they will see those books. And if they click on any of the book covers, Jesus Manifesto, Jesus of Theography, or Jesus Speaks, they will 
come to a page that has all sorts of interviews that Leonard and I did, both print interviews, audio interviews. Uh, there's excerpts from the books. Excellent. Um, it's very full. It's a robust page. Yeah, you're referring to the statement in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find life, but the scriptures point to me, right? Yes. I think today in some sectors, and I hope I don't fall into this at times, but we almost have a a bibliolatry where God can only speak through the Bible, but your third book addresses that, right? Jesus speaks. But yes. yeah, the scriptures point to a person, the living word. Uh, yes, yes. Everything is, you know, in the framework of the written word, but the living Jesus. So you're saying that Jesus Christ and, and he is the king and the kingdom is a derivative of him as a person, right? Is that a, is that a fair statement? I would say he embodies the kingdom. He em- embodied and we yeah. and we are in Christ and we're part of that embodiment, right? Yeah, exactly. As, exactly. The, as the royal yeah. priest. So so you're saying in the book uh, Theography um, that Jesus is the overwhelmingly the central motif <laughs> the the organizing theme, right, of of scripture itself, the revelation of scripture, and that's right. There's Absolutely. no more important question, is there, Frank? Than who do you say that I am? Absolutely. I mean, it's like in the garden, you have like, where are you? That's an important archetypical question we could say, right? When he's searching for man, but then, boy, who do you say that I am? I mean, those questions are huge. Well, here's the thing, though. In the West, most people hearing that question will think, well, that's pretty easy. You know, I'll just recite the creed. You know, he's the son of God. He's <laughs> he's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. That doesn't mean anything. Your confession doesn't mean a hill of beans unless there is a revelation that is behind that, that confession. The letter of James. James was a younger brother of Jesus. And I believe that with many scholars. He basically tells us your confession means nothing. You can say Jesus is the Lord. But if that confession does not flow out of a living faith that comes from a revelation in your heart where you really know inwardly that he is who you're confessing, well, the devils have that other kind of mental ascent faith, too. They can say, you know, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Messiah. Remember that demon-possessed woman in the city of Philippi? She was going around saying, these are servants of the Most High God. Well, what, what she was saying was true, but she didn't believe it. <laughs> uh, she was, was basically yeah. mocking, mocking, and it was irritating Paul. And finally, he, patience ran out and he cast the demon out of her. And she's, <laughs> yeah. So your confession means nothing. What's important is mm. the confession that comes out of true faith, that comes out of a revelation of seeing who Jesus is in your heart, in your spirit. And only the Holy Spirit can give a person that. But we can certainly position ourselves to have it if we humble ourselves, become poor in spirit, and we seek. And God wants us to seek him. Jesus wants us to seek him. Seek and you shall find. And so this business about pursuing the Lord, I'm not just talking about an unbeliever someone who doesn't know him. I'm talking about believers because most Christians do not know their Lord very well, mm. whether they admit it or not. They just don't. Yeah. And the difference between having a revelation of Christ, Ephesians 1, yes. uh, an inward revelation of Jesus, seeing who he is, believing, true faith, which affects your actions, all right? True faith is evidenced by how you live. And if there's not a change of life, then you don't have biblical faith, the faith that the Testament describes. But it's the difference between reading about the city of Paris 
reading books on it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, watching videos, watching documentaries. You can know everything about Paris and say, I love Paris. But boy, it's, it's a totally different ball game to visit Paris, to walk its streets, to smell the smells, to eat the food, to meet the people, right? To touch the buildings, to actually be in the Eiffel Tower, rather than reading about it in a book or watching a video on it. And so that's the difference between confessing Jesus and actually knowing Jesus, where it's not a confession that comes out of mental assent or some creed that you recite, but actually out of firsthand experience. Ah, I I suppose one could say that even the demons, in a sense, have a creedal faith, right? (laughs) Um. And I know we're wrapping up here, and I want to touch on Ephesians 1 and, and praying for that spirit of wisdom and revelation in that that epinosis, that advanced relational knowledge of Christ, you know, Ephesians 1, that great prayer by Paul. If we're going to meet this moment, and if we're going to stand before the Lord and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming, if we're going to enter the kingdom abundantly, I think as Peter says in this way, you know, when he talks about the characteristics of the kingdom there, I think in Second Peter 1, you will enter abundantly into the kingdom who wants to enter the fullness of the kingdom like in a scarce way or like, <laughs> you know, come in smoking, you know? I mean, I, I, um, we don't want to shrink away from him in shame and his coming. We want to please him. But, you know, praying that prayer at some point in the past and then only reading our Bibles as to what God used to do and what he used to say, that is insufficient, right? Am, am I okay in saying that? It depends on depends on what you mean by that. I am in the scriptures all the time. Sure, me too. And of course, the scriptures are what Jesus said, past tense, right? But I am looking for what he's saying now and who he is now, because he's the same Christ that lives in me. The Jesus who walked in Nazareth and visited Jerusalem and laid his head in Bethany and died a a gruesome, horrible death. He is the same Jesus that has been raised by his father to immortality and who lives in every true believer by the Holy Spirit. Amazing, amazing thought. So, you know, there's no problem looking at what Jesus or what God said in the past, as long as we're seeking to have that true connection and encounter and learning more about who he is now because you can't separate you can't separate i'll use the term that theologians use you can't separate the jesus of history from the christ of faith you know he's the same person Mm -hmm. and so there are ways brian to approach the scripture that actually bring it to life and that give us can give us an electrifying experience with the living God. There you go. Wow. And in the Insurgents podcast, I actually unveil some of these ways. And I also have, I don't know how many pastors are listening to this. I don't know how many Bible teachers are listening to this, but I have a mastermind for leaders, pastors and teachers called the Insurgents Experience. And what it is, it is a high-level premium mastermind, and it goes way beyond a cohort, by the way. Many leaders think, oh, that's a cohort. No, it's not. (laughs) It's way beyond it. I will just tell you that in that experience, 
we not only discuss the different ways to encounter Jesus Christ in the scriptures, we actually do it together. Mm -hmm. Profound, profound experience. Well, not only will change your life, it'll change your preaching, it'll change your teaching. We go to work on it and we spend a whole year knowing the Lord better, knowing him more deeply and learning how to share him in a way where people are not only blown away, they're left breathless at the sight of Christ that has been unveiled through preaching and teaching. Most of the preaching and teaching we have today is not like that at all. And I have found that many pastors, they tend to be dismissive. If it's not something that's going to put more people in the seats, bring more money into the church building, something that's going to swell their cranium with more knowledge, they're just totally disinterested. But there's those few that say, you know what? I want to know the Lord better than I do. I want to be able to preach him where people are just captivated, not by me, but by him. That small segment of Christian leadership, the pastors and the teachers, brother, they jump on this and it is revolutionary. So if anybody's listening who's a pastor and teacher, I would highly encourage them to apply. They can go to ministrymind.org, read testimonials, real testimonials from real pastors and teachers to see exactly what this thing is. If they're interested, it takes two minutes to apply. I love that. And, you know, the statement that comes to mind of Paul as you're speaking there, Paul said, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We are accountable to God for how we speak and we speak in Christ, that living reality, substantive reality, preaching Christ, not a brand, yes. not a building, not a big man, you know, all the B words, you know, budget. We're not preaching our budget. We're not preaching our building. We're not preaching the big man, and we're not preaching our brand. I kind of run with a group of guys here that gets, uh, we probably get carnal a little bit when we talk about some of these things, probably need to repent after some of our little meetings. But, you know, we're, what we're doing is just thinking and dialoguing. And, and uh, well, as we close, Frank, and I know your time is limited, and but can we just touch on the Ephesians one thing? Because Paul is really advocating that we pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the epinosis, the advanced knowledge of Christ. As I've studied it, I think that there's more of a reference to the heart knowledge or the experiential knowledge of Christ, advanced, not casual, not distant, not, you know, just creedal, but an actual advanced relational knowledge of Christ that is central, its core to God's activity in the earth. What would you say, Frank? Well, I would just go back to my analogy about visiting Paris versus reading about it, watching videos on it, <laughs> looking at documentaries. What Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1, and he's talking to a series of churches, a group of churches in Asia Minor. The book of Ephesians was a circuit letter. These were Christians. And the solution to everything in the Christian life is a greater revelation of Christ. Mm -hmm. Some people get spooked out about the word revelation. A revelation is simply an unveiling. If you're a married man listening to this, there was a moment in time where you had a revelation of that girl who you married. And your eyes were opened and you saw her like nobody else saw her and you fell in love with her. That's a revelation. OK, OK. <laughs> Same yep. thing happens with women who you know marry their husbands. That first time where you would say you fell in love, you had a revelation. You saw him like others did not. That's the same thing Paul is getting at when he talks about a revelation in the knowledge of Christ. He's talking about firsthand knowledge, knowing him, just like I would know you, right? We met together in person once. I know you. So the thing about this is 
in order for a Christian to have this, and by the way, they had an initial revelation of Christ, else they wouldn't be saved. Yes, right? that's it. <laughs> there has to be that initial unveiling that Jesus is the Lord, he is Savior, he is Messiah, I'm going to trust in him. But usually that fades, and it gets replaced by teachings and doctrines and theology and practices, and that initial revelation ebbs away. Well, what Paul is telling these Christians is, I'm praying that God would give you an ever-continuing revelation of Christ. That's right. Wow. And that's the heritage of all Christians. Yeah. But it begins with a desire. And there are many Christians today who just simply do not have a desire for the Lord to know Him, to see Him new and fresh. And the reason is because their life has been cluttered with all sorts of things that are temporal and earthly. Jesus talked about it in the sense of, He used the term, the cares of this life. Yeah. Choke the word. The desires for many things, yeah. Desires of many things. You know, the things of life, the things that you have to do every day, you know, family related, house related, work related. Absolutely. And that could actually suffocate any spiritual desire. So if you're listening to this and you don't have a desire (laughs) to see the Lord anew and afresh, to where you're chasing him and pursuing him to get fresh glimpses of his glory, the first step is to say, Lord, I need you to intervene in my life to bring me to the point where I do have a desire, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. If you are someone who has a desire, then the next step is to begin to pursue an unveiling of Christ. And there are some tools that you can use. I mean, I have a chapter on this very thing in the book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Mm -hmm. The book. 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. A lot of what I talk about on the Christ is All podcast is designed to give people a fresh revelation unveiling of Jesus Christ. So there are things that you can access. I would say the majority of my ministry is in fact presenting Jesus to people in a way that goes beyond what they typically hear. Really catch it, they will just say, what a Lord. You know, I've made the statement that good preachers leave you saying, what a good sermon. Great preachers leave you saying, wow, what a Christ. What a Christ. And these times, as things are winding up and winding down, and one, one kingdom's, you know, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, as Paul said, I tell you, we need a really resuscitated revelation of Christ. I know the need of it, and I know the quest of it, and I know that we have to find people that are on that wavelength, don't we? Uh, we can't just become entombed with a bunch of casual Christians, right, Frank? Um, we do need um, maybe another layer of affiliation or other layers of association, kind of like the uh, thing you were talking about earlier for, for, for Christian leaders, you know, who, who come together around a central focus. And um, I feel like the Holy Spirit is sort of agitating for that in a positive sense today. Hey, guys, this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways. I have created a bundle of free resources. This would include my other podcasts, the YouTube channel, several free ebooks, free seminars, and other free resources. And you can find all of that at frankviola.com. And if you go to frankvella.com, you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff. 
you just click on that and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us. And that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate, all of them simple. Thank you very much and God bless. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.